right, today on the Lib Results podcast, we're going to be talking about home servers because all your data belong to you and you should be the one to control it. Having control of your data will help free yourself from third-party companies who have they have a tendency to snoop and profit off of your information. Um, there are there are plenty of third-party companies out there that uh, provide you know incredibly useful solutions for accessing your data, your pictures, your documents, and whatever. Um, what really comes to mind, like the the biggest one that I can think of out there, is Google Docs. Google Docs provides an excellent service for uh, being able to store just you know standard data files that you may have on your on your machine, uh, pictures, uh, documents that you might write up, spreadsheets, and so forth, and and it's very useful to have access to these things and, and they're, they're good. Um, the biggest, but the problem is, is that it's theirs. It's not yours. So the pros is, you know, in general, they just work. You don't have to worry about maintaining any servers. You know, they write the software, they, they troubleshoot it. They make sure it works for you. They maintain all the networking in the back end and all that stuff. It doesn't cost you any money to use. That's another positive, right? Uh, they're online and accessible anywhere. Now you can spend more money on a Google Docs server by, um, you know, paying them for extra data space. But it, but in general, you can get pretty far with just their free offering. So the cons to using these services are that you are not in control of your data. Should the service go away, then also your data goes along with it. Uh, it's unlikely that this is going to happen. But you know, for a lot of these services like Google Docs, because they they do profit a lot off of it. But it is a possibility, and it's something that you know you should be uh, prepared for just in case. Um, another downside is that information about you gets uh, sent off to an unknown amount of companies, third-party companies. Uh, these they they sell your data essentially to the highest bidder, uh, anywhere from advertising companies all the way to governmental agencies. They they these third-party companies what they do, or in your case, be like a fourth-party company because yeah. They, anyways, they they profile, classify, and learn things about you that you may not even know about yourself. They build these dossiers on you. They crunch all these numbers. They, 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 and then they are able to find out what groups you belong to, what your your beliefs are, what how you you think, what you like to buy, and then they try to craft a, a story about you that they can then utilize to often market products to you, which may not may or may not be something that you want, but it's it's whether you want it or not, it doesn't matter because that's what they're doing. So if you don't want them to be doing these kinds of things, then stop. You have to kind of stop using their services. So now a lot of these services, you know, they don't cost money, but they do cost you in privacy. So if, if the product is free, then you are the product they're giving, they don't, nobody does anything for free. So when you're buying something, when you're using something and there's no price tag associated with it, a guaranteed almost hundred percent of the time, there's somebody on the back end somewhere else profiting off your data and information. That's the only way that they can pay their bills. It costs an incredible amount of money to have thousands upon thousands of servers online gathering all this data and information and, and, and providing these services to you. They have to be paid for with something. So typically that something that they use to pay for these products are you. You are the product that they sell to third parties so that they can continue to give you their quote unquote free service. So Nothing is free. It's really important. So a, a brief note about privacy. You know, you may feel like your life is an open book and you have nothing to hide. And, you know, it's like no big deal. You know, I don't care. They can have all the information they want on, on me. But, okay, that's fine if you truly believe that. But most likely this is not correct. You probably really don't truly believe that 
you know, deep down, because unless you're an incredibly different kind of person than most people, you do have things that you want to keep private or hide. I mean, some good examples of it are um, a person who, who is a truly open book, what they would do is they would do things like allow everybody in the world access to their bank accounts and credit card numbers, you know, even their balances, you know, you don't have anything to hide. So why not share that information? You might freely give out your social security number, security number to anybody who asks. I mean, hell, you wouldn't even mind if a group of random people would show up, show up to your house to watch and film you take a shower or use the bathroom. Now, these are obviously extreme examples, right? Nobody would really, well, I won't say nobody, the vast majority of people would not want an intrusion of people walk into their bathroom with cameras while they're showering or, you know, taking a crap. Nobody would want that. Most people wouldn't want that. <laughs> Anyways, but these are extreme examples and they, they're, they're trying to set to illustrate the point that not only is privacy important, but it's also needed. You need privacy in order to keep yourself secure from others that may try to use information about you in an abusive manner. And there are, there are many people out there in this world who have no problem abusing your information for their own gains. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to fix it? So one way to gain control of your data, just one way, it's one that I've used, is to have your own personal home server. What does that mean, a home server? It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be something as simple as just a PC connected to your home network, optionally the internet. Heck, it doesn't even have to be connected to the network, but if you have a home server connected to the network, it really does open up a lot more possibilities for you. So it could be a Windows machine, a Mac machine. It could be uh, something like a Unix-style machine, like um, like Linux or uh, BSD or whatever. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be complicated, though. It could just be a simple machine just connected. It could be as simple as a machine with a network share on it. In fact, my, my first server, my first quote-unquote server that I had was a Windows 7 machine, a little Atom processing board that ran off practically no power with a, at the time, I think it was a two terabyte hard drive connected to it. That was a lot. A two terabyte hard drive connected to it on Windows with a, a, a couple of network shares. I think I had my, my big two terabyte drive shared as just one share. And uh, that that was my home server for shoot, probably close to 10 years, seven, at least seven years. I used a machine like that and, and it worked beautifully. It, it, it had a, it, it did everything that I at the time needed it to do. Uh, since then I've, I've upgraded my machine. It's using, it's running Arch Linux. Uh, and Linux gives me a lot more options on, on things that I can do with it over the, over the, over the network, including the internet. In, in a much more safe manner, but it doesn't have to be as complicated as that. It could just be something as simple as a nowadays, a windows 10 machine, God forbid, and a, uh, an open network share that you can save information and gather, get information from, uh, this basically creates your own quote unquote cloud. Now, what is a cloud? You, you hear that term being used all the time, you know, the cloud computing cloud, this cloud, that, uh, iCloud or whatever the hell. So, all cloud really means is somebody else's computer. So whenever you, you hear iCloud, think it's Apple's computer. When, it, when I'm saving my, I'm backing up my data to the cloud. I'm backing up my data to someone else's computer. And that's fine if you're okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're the kind of person who wants to have control over your data, keep other people from looking at it, or minimize the uh, the the opportunity for others to be able to say, steal that data. So for example, if you upload your backup information to a service such as iCloud, 
there's no guarantee that their servers can't get hacked. Well, there's no guarantee about anything, but there's no guarantee that their servers aren't going to get hacked and somebody's going to be able to somehow penetrate into your backup system and then look through all your stuff. Now, even if you save it on your own computer, there's no guarantees that the same exact thing can, can, couldn't happen. But, uh, one upside is if, um, if, if there's some governmental agency that decides that they want your data, these third party companies like Apple and Google, Facebook, YouTube, I mean, you name it, they will hand over that data because, well, they have to, they're a company and they'll just do it because they're legally bound and required to. Uh, if you have it on your own server, then it's a little more complicated. You have a first, you have a, you have like, I think it's a fourth amendment, right? To, uh, not incriminate yourself, at least here in America. So you don't necessarily have to give it over, or if you have to give it over, you don't have to tell them the password. Although that's been, that, that's a little gray area. There's not, there's still court cases regarding all that stuff. But anyways, I don't want to digress down into the whole legal aspect of things. Um, but talking about a cloud, all a cloud is, is something for you to, to save your data, save your information. I mean, we, we have all different kinds of information that we use uh, throughout our daily lives that we create all, all the time. You know, we'll, we'll take pictures, we'll create images that we'll want to save and keep forever. You know, the uh, biggest thing about an image is that it, it's a unique moment in time that cannot be recreated. So if you have your pictures taken and they get lost, then they're pretty much lost forever as you can't recreate a picture and maybe you could paint it from hand or you know draw it from memory, but it's not the same. So being able to save important things that are especially irre- irreplaceable, you you can do that in your own cloud. Uh, documents, you know, Word documents, text, notes, whatever, your emails, text, audio, and video files that you may have. All these things are examples of types of data that we that we use and and create and. We want to be able to keep safe, and at the same time, we want to be able to have access to it anywhere, which is what a lot of these cloud services provide for you. Uh, now, you nowadays you you don't have to you don't have to rely upon a third party service anymore. Uh, a lot of this can be done with without third parties for practically free, or at least not nearly as much money that you may be spending on them now. So, for example, if you have yourself a computer. And you have some specialized software put on that computer that gives that allows you to get gain easy access to your data, and you no longer have to rely upon companies like Google. It's really you relied relied upon yourself. Uh, so back when I had my own my my first server, uh, it, my Windows Seven machine, I I got tired of paying for um, what do you call it satellite internet or not satellite internet but satellite TV. Because at the time we lived out in the sticks and there was uh, no cable service available. So we had to pay for uh, the dish network at the time or direct TV. We kind of went back and forth between the two, depending upon who had the better deal. But, and we would get just the cheapest thing. Now don't get me wrong. It was a cheap, it was only like 50 bucks a month, but over 10 years, 50 bucks a month adds up to be a lot of money. So uh, I decided that, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Uh, I took all of our DVDs and we had, a, we had, you know, quite a few DVDs. We had a big DVD collection that we'd collected over the years, took all of our DVDs. I ripped them onto that two terabyte hard drive that I was talking about earlier and uh, organized them in such a manner that I could find a, a, a video if I needed to. And then I would just be able to watch that instead of direct TV or dish network. You know, the downside of that is I didn't get 
news because regular TV didn't work where we live because we lived out in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, you know, and the general news is not all that great to watch anyways. It's kind of unhealthy. So I, I was able to at least provide entertainment for my family and save 50 bucks a month, right? Just by having this Windows 7 machine connected. But I'll, and I, in, order to, in order to use it, all I needed to do was, you know, plug my laptop into the TV, plug your laptop into the TV, double click on a file, VLC comes up on the TV and boom, you can watch whatever, you know, upside is that upside is it. I have access to all my stuff. Boom. There it is. Right. Over the network. You know, this is, this is going over a Wi-Fi network, which is an older Wi-Fi standard that I was using and it, and it worked beautifully. So having access to my data was great. Uh, it, the downside was that my, my family, if they wanted to watch something, they kind of needed to have me around to plug my laptop into the TV because I didn't have the TV set up on a computer, plug my laptop into the TV, find whatever it is that they're, that they're looking for and double click and play it for them. Uh, and it was often my laptop and my laptop was often with me. <laughs> so uh, it, it really hindered them now, along later on comes the Roku box, right? The Roku box was pretty cool because that allowed us to be able to plug that in, watch Netflix and YouTube and whatnot. So that was pretty cool. I was able to cut the cord with that in the Roku box then I learned about media servers. What a media server allowed me to do was to take my data and organize it in such a manner and make it easily to play back on various devices over my network using specialized software. Uh, in the case of the Roku box, it was the, uh, the, the media server that I, I was using at the time was Plex. There are plenty of different ones out there. There's Kodi, there's Plex, there's MB, there's Jellyfin. All of them have their pluses and minuses. Uh, in the beginning, I was using Plex. And what Plex allowed me to do with, with the Plex app on the Roku box is it automatically dis, it automatically found my media server on the network and using the Roku remote gave me a Netflix-like style interface that allowed me to uh, be able to play back media just using the remote. And it was super, super simple. It didn't require me to plug in my laptop. It didn't require anything other than just using the remote. Anybody could use it. It was it was pretty foolproof. In fact, you know, my, my granddaughter could find Dora a ball by herself and, and click and play. And it was, it was amazing. And all I needed to, to make it work was to have my server machine, which was running 24 seven with all my media files organized in such a manner that the media server could make sense of the, the, the data that was on there. And so it could format it in a way that the, uh, Roku app would be, or the, the media server would be able to send to the Roku app that it could watch. Or that you could watch it. It was not at all difficult. It just took a little bit of a setting up, but once it was set up, it was set up forever and, and to, to maintain it was a no brainer. So I highly recommend uh, using a media server as your first introduction into setting up your own home server because it's simple. It's easy to do and it, it doesn't require a lot of expertise. The, Upsides greatly outweigh any of the downsides that you may have. Uh, anything up to and including, you could even cancel your net Netflix Netflix subscription, saving you, you know, fifteen to twenty bucks a month or however much you're paying for it. The, you know, you you don't have access to all the the brand new information, but if you have a huge DVD collection, you can legally rip it, rip that onto your hard drive and have all of that. I'll, I'll have all of that media there for you and your family and whomever you know do you want to entertain. And if you do require having the latest and greatest TV shows out there, there are ways to acquire them that 
may or may not be legal where you're from. And I'll leave that uh, as an exercise for you to figure out on your own. So the first thing you're going to want to do when figuring out how to set up your own media server is to pick which media server are you going to use. There are plenty of them out there. Uh, and they range from free to not free, a uh, whole host of different features and whatnot. It's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about here, but pick one. Uh, I first started out with Plex, P-L-E-X. They changed their business model after a while and, and, and kind of became less free. And they also, they originally they were originally an open source project, which I'm a big fan of. They closed their source and that kind of like, eh. MB, same thing. Uh happened with them. They were kind of sort of a sp- spinoff of Plex-ish, uh, and they went down the same rabbit hole that Plex did. MB is still awesome. But I currently use a, a server called Jellyfin. A lot of people use Kodi, K-O-D-I. There's nothing wrong with that one either. It's, it's just I set it up once, and it just didn't really appeal to me. I didn't really care much for the their, their theater interface or whatever you, they call it. And I don't And I, I don't recall if at the time there might not have even been a Roku app for it, whereas there was one for Plex, and so I kind of stuck with that. But Jellyfin is a, a spinoff of MB, because when MB closed their source, uh, the Jellyfin folks, a bunch of volunteers, got together and split, forked off the code and created Jellyfin. The downside with Jellyfin right now is that they don't have a Roku app, or, or do they? I don't I don't use Roku anymore, but uh, they didn't, and they definitely don't have an Xbox app. They, they have one for a second, and then they, they stopped using it. So there are certain, you know, in, you, you need to be able to interface with these servers, and you do that through apps. Uh, you could, you know, either through your phone or your TV or something like a Roku box. There are ways to get Jellyfin without using a Jellyfin app. But th- anyways, long story, don't really want to go down that rabbit hole. As far as, uh, you gotta, just got to pick your, pick your server. Pick your server, right? You got to rip all your information. If you have a whole bunch of bunch of DVDs, you got to rip all your DVDs onto your hard drive. Well, you also need a big hard drive. <laughs> That's incredibly important because movies can be very large. You can you can rip them at low quality and have them be as little as like three to five hundred megabytes per movie, but they're not going to look that great on the screen. Uh, or you can go full HD, 1080p, 480k, and they they could be up to ten gigabytes in size, depending upon you know, how high quality that you want to rip these things to. So that's something you got to weigh. You have to figure out what format do you want to to rip your DVDs to. And if you're going to rip your DVDs, I highly recommend a, an app called handbrake. Handbrake is amazing. It's just, they had, you just point, you just load the file up and click. It's, it's pretty easy uh, and wait. It takes a long time to rip DVDs just so you know, takes a long time to rip DVDs depending upon how, how fast your computer is. My computer is pretty slow. I was just using my laptop. It probably took me a month or so to go, go through all of my DVDs, but I did and I got them, I got them done. It's just a little bit of time, a little bit of time. So handbrake is awesome. And there are ways to rip copywriting or copy protected DVDs with handbrake. Just Google that. Um, I think it's, Oh, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. I think it's like libdvd.css or libcssdvd or, or something like that. But it's just a DLL that you have to put into the uh, into a folder, and then it allows Handbrake to rip uh, most DVDs. Some DVDs are harder than others to rip. It, 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 ripping a D, ripping DVDs is huge as as far as a topic, and I'm not going to be able to cover on how to do it. But it, it can be done. It's not. It's 
it's complicated, but it's not terribly, terribly difficult. You could do it if you, if you worked on it, or if you have somebody who can help you, that'd be even better. So ripping, ripping your data onto your, your, uh, hard drive, organizing it in such a manner that media servers can, um, find the data and understand the data, the, the movie files, this, all this is, all this is documented online. Like say, for example, if you're going to use uh, a jellyfin, jellyfin has some pretty excellent documentation online as to how to organize all your movies and TV shows and music so that, uh, everything works flawlessly and smoothly. Um, yeah. So setting up that once you, once you've got all your DVDs, uh, ripped, in, you install a, the a, a Roku app, or if you're, if your TV supports uh, apps, there there may be an app for your Jellyfin server or whatever server you're using. There may be an app for it already. In addition to, you can uh, install the apps on your phones and or I, uh, what do you call those things, <coughs> tablet devices or whatever, and watch that way as well. And it just streams your data. So you're not actually copying that the you're not downloading the the files onto your phone although with jellyfin you can if you wanted to so that you could download a lot of files onto your phone and then go on an airplane ride and watch all your movies or listen to a bunch of music you know so you don't have you don't have to be connected to the internet but in general these are all about uh, streaming uh streaming down to your your devices so you're not actually copying the data onto your phone taking up your space you're just temporarily downloading as you're watching and then you know it deletes as you go so you don't have to worry about it eating up all your SD card space, which is nice. Uh, so you could, another op- upside you can do with these media servers is that if you set it up correctly and safely, you can access your media server over the internet anywhere in the world. So for example, the way my machine is set up right now, anywhere in the world, I can access all my movies, all my TV shows, all my uh, MP3 music that I have, and anything that I want, all my music, anywhere in the world. So essentially, I have my own Netflix. I have my own Spotify or whatever, uh, and whatever Pandora, whichever service you use. I've eliminated that completely. I don't have to pay for any of these services or use any of their free services where they're they're tracking what songs I like to listen to. Now you got to remember that. If you don't have a big hard drive and a whole bunch of music, then your selections are going to be limited. When you take control over your data, you are also required to provide that data. So sometimes having a third-party service like a Pandora or a Spotify is pretty awesome because they have access to bazillion songs that you'll never have access to. Same with Netflix, you know, and YouTube. So there, there are, there are benefits. I'm not saying that you should just eliminate these completely from your life. I'm just saying moderate them. You, you don't have to get on. If you have a, a, an excellent library already, use your own library. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to get something new, then either figure out how to acquire it yourself, or you can use these services to for music discovery and whatnot. You, you don't have, it's, it's not a black and white thing. This is not, you don't have to all be us, me only, or I, I'm I, I'm not going to use any of these third-party services. You could just use them a little bit. You know, you're limiting the amount of information that they have on you. Eh, it's something you got away for yourself. So that's uh, 
a lot of information about nothing, I guess. I just talked for 25-ish minutes about servers and media servers and stuff, and I don't, I don't know if we even really covered anything that was super important. Hmm. Let's pause here and think for a second. Okay, so I think I decided that we're going to make this, I'm going to make this podcast here primarily about introductions to these types of things. And uh, so I'm going to briefly overview what I do. And uh, maybe later on, I should make smaller podcasts and or slash tutorials slash videos if I can get off my lazy butt and do all these things. Um, More diving more deeply into individual topics and subjects. So now I want to talk about Nextcloud. Now, what Nextcloud is, is it's a, it's your own cloud service, basically in a box. It's it's real simple and easy to, to set up. It allows you to use one of your computers, this server we we're talking about earlier, to do almost everything that Google Drive does. It's not quite an exact one for one match, but it's it it's close enough. It it works really well. Um, my Nextcloud instance allows me to save all my pictures. Uh, it has a calendar, um, a whole bunch of files. It's, it's very similar to Dropbox where I can have a folder on my on my desktop or anywhere, any, any of my machines, I can have a folder on it, drag a, a file into it, and it automatically uploads it to my NextCloud instance, my, my NextCloud server. And uh, it's pretty awesome that way, so I can share files back and forth between computers pretty easily. Uh, it has an, an awesome note-taking app that I use, tasks, like to-do lists and so forth. Anyways, it even has a, uh, there's a, a password manager database that's in there that allows you to using something very similar to um, LastPass. It also has a, a really cool feature that I, I have set up uh, where I can edit my own docs, just like a Google Docs, um, like Word style documents. But in, in addition to that, I have my own spreadsheet server on there, which is, I think, f- awesome. I use spreadsheets a lot. So I use a LibreOffice for my spreadsheets. I no longer use Microsoft products, but I'm, you know, no, nothing against if you do. I just, me, I decided that I'm, I'm going to use LibreOffice and, uh, it allows me to edit te- uh, spreadsheets online, just like Google docs does Google sheets or whatever it's called, which is awesome because I can then access those anywhere v- from my phone, uh, or any other computer that I happen to be connected to the internet with. And, uh, I'm, I'm able to do this, in, in, uh, because I, I currently pay for a server instance on digitalocean.com, uh, where I pay, it costs me five bucks a month for this computer that I have in the sky. And I'm able to put whatever software I, I want on it. And I've decided to put Nextcloud on one of the, one of the instances. So it does cost me money. There's not, not much that's free. Although you can install Nextcloud on a home machine and using, uh, Dyn DNS type services, you can access it online uh, that way as well, saving you that five bucks a month. But I have the machine set up already, so yeah, I'm just going to keep using it. Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll switch it over to my main home server. But that's just something for the future. So NextCloud is also pretty easy to set up. Uh, they have excellent instructions. You just follow their instructions, run the stuff, and then you're up and running with your own cloud service. Oh yeah, another app that I have on on Nextcloud is called Talk. Talk is pretty interesting. It allows me to have uh, chat type conversations with anybody whom I want to invite onto my server, uh, which are secure, or at least secure enough, where 
no, there's nobody eavesdropping. There's no third parties involved. It's direct communication between myself and whomever I'm communicating with. And you can also do uh, voice chatting with them as well as video chatting. I haven't tried out the video chatting aspect, but uh, the voice chatting works eh, okay. works good enough. And it's point to point, which I, I don't know if I can stress that enough. Point to point communications between you and your whomever you want to speak to, your friends and whatnot, without anybody else being able to listen in. Because all this happens over uh, encrypted HTTPS um, TLS communications meaning that the data stream back and forth between you and your friend is encrypted in such a manner that a third party who gets access to the data can't figure it out unless they know how to decrypt it. And it's really, really hard to do. Not impossible, really, really hard to do. So your information is secure, more secure. Whereas, for example, if you're using Google Hangouts or what are are these other services that they do online nowadays, um, for communicating back and forth, that's maybe encrypted, right? But there's a middleman in between. There's a middle person that will that can intercept the data. Like so, for example, if I'm having a a Google Hangouts communication back and forth between a friend of mine, Google, if they wanted to, can't they have access to all that information? So they could be collecting whatever data they want on me from my communications between my friends. Same with text messages. Text messages, you text somebody. That information is pretty much, for all intents and purposes, sent out in the clear, and anybody can sniff those packets and find out what the heck's going on on the the, the cell phone network side of things. The, the cell phone, your cell phone company knows and has access to every single text that you've ever put out, and there is no guarantee that they've ever deleted them. It's entirely possible and not unfathomable <laughs> that they have every single text that you have ever texted it throughout your entire life. That goes for Gmail as well. So whenever you're using these services for communication, there, it's a strong possibility that they're retaining that information for forever. And they're using it to mine the information from you and to gather intelligence on you and to use for whatever purposes they seem that they deem necessary. So you can eliminate a whole lot of that by just utilizing your own server uh, infrastructure. You you don't have to go the route of, of paying for a $5 DigitalOcean machine, although I highly recommend you do because it's an incredible learning experience. You will learn a whole lot about Linux and how machines work in general, how networking works, and it is a an incredibly empowering experience as well. But you don't have to do that. You can do everything from your home server and everything. You can even get your own domain name and have it point to your home server using dynamic DNS type stuff that allows, so you could have, uh, see if your name's John, well, you probably couldn't get it. I would say home, home.john.com, or you can say, or you could have a, uh, a, a domain name called John's home And then whenever you type that into a computer, it can direct you directly over to your next cloud instance from your, that's being served directly from your home machine home.john.com it's on your actual home machine and and there's no other parties involved there's only party the only third parties involved in that kind of interaction is the domain name server system that's it and you don't even have to use that you can use an ip address so you can have direct point-to-point conversation or communications between your own server with no third parties whatsoever if you wanted to it just requires a little bit of setup so Nextcloud is the way to go for me so far. It's the best thing that I found so far. What I can do with Nextcloud to me is pretty amazing because there are apps 
and these apps all exist on um I don't know about iOS. I don't I don't have a, an iPhone or any iOS device. So you iOS people, you're going to have to figure this stuff out on your own. But so on my Android system, I use a um store called Fdroid, F-Droid. It's a uh alternative to the Google Play Store, but you don't have to. All these apps exist on the Google Play Store as well. But there are for Nextcloud, there are apps that are specifically designed that allow me to do to interact with my server, uh, my Nextcloud instance via my phone. There are apps where I can, if I take a picture on my phone, it'll automatically upload it and save it to my Nextcloud server, right? Or, and you can have control over that where you whether you want it to do it or not. I currently don't do that because there's nothing on my. I don't take pictures of anything that's important. But if you did then you could do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, uh, so there's the NextCloud app itself. The NextCloud app itself allows you to uh, share your data structure onto your phone as well. Like the way NextCloud works is you have a whole folder structure, kind of like Dropbox. It's very much like Dropbox where you have a data fo- data structure, fo- a folder structure of information and you can then synchronize that to your phone. So if you have some documents that you're working on, you can synchronize them to your phone use them for, and, and deal with them mobily and ma- make modifications to them, save them, and they'll automatically be synchronized back to your Nextcloud server. Uh, they, have a, they have an amazing note-taking app, which is an app you have to install onto your Nextcloud service, but uh, it, it is just stupid, simple, quick and easy note-taking app that I find. Uh, I'm in it constantly. At, at least once a day, I'm in there just to, to jot down quick things. Um, it integrates with your calendar on your phone if you want. So you can have events and everything on, on your phone and synchronize them with any other devices that you have. And you can do all this kind of stuff, like I said, without third parties involved. So it's, it's pretty powerful. Uh, you know, going back to the jellyfin app, there's a, a jellyfin music app as well that you can uh, install on your phone and listen to all your music um, in a very easy to, it's just a, an app that integrates with Jellyfin, which is pretty awesome for music. Yeah, so Nextcloud, it's the way to go. Okay, so that's a basic, a basic overview on how media servers can be used to help you to uh, re- retain some of your privacy and have more access to your data and more flexibility in some of the things that you want to be able to do with your data. Um, I think in the future, I'll probably break this down a little bit more and talk about specific things uh, maybe more in detail, break down uh, Jellyfin and how to set it up or, or how it all works. Or probably what's going to be most most uh, useful for people will be to talk about how to have internet access to your systems, uh, to your home server, uh, without uh, running the risk of being hacked. There's always a risk of being hacked, but let's say we're going to minimize that risk. So I think that's going to be it for today. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me ramble and rant about, uh, not rant, but ramble and rave about media servers. And uh, hopefully I'll have another one of these episodes out here in in the near future. You guys take care. Bye-bye.